0: Acts chapter 13, and we're going to uh, begin our reading from verse 1. Acts 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, who was also called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manning, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetriarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed on to Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. That was John Mark. And when they had gone through the isle on Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul. And desired to hear the word of God, but Elemas the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, he withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, he set his eyes on him and he said, "O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord?" And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John Mark departed from them, returning. To Jerusalem, we'll end our reading there, and again we'll bow in a short word of prayer. Father, we do thank you this morning that um, we are able to come to you. Um, we thank you that there is one God, one mediator between God and men this morning. It is the man Christ Jesus. And yes, Lord, we just uh, want to throw our weight behind. Bertie's prayer this morning, and again pray for our brother John and for his daughters, for his sons-in-law, for his grandchildren. We especially remember Francis and Ruth here with us this morning as well. We thank you, Lord, that um, there we mummies in the glory today, and we've uh, something extra to look forward to now, Lord, um, when it comes our tor- turn to step out into God's great eternity. And so we just pray that you will bless this family in the days that lie ahead. And uh, we're mindful too, of course, Lord, of uh, Clarence and Elizabeth and the family circle again this morning. We pray for them. And um, we just pray for your presence with us here now, Lord, as we look at this portion of scripture. And for those that may be listening to this word um, later on in the comfort of their own home, by whatever means, we pray, Lord, that you'll speak to their hearts today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For some time, Jerusalem had been the center of operations for the church. But now, Antioch would be the base from where each of Paul's missionary journeys would depart to take the gospel into the world. In verse 1, there are listed five members of the church here in Antioch. We have Barnabas from Cyprus. We have Simeon, who may have been a black man from Africa. We have Lucius from Cyrene. Manaen, who grew up with Herod. That was the same Herod that beheaded John the Baptist. Uh, He may have been an adopted brother of Herod. So that's interesting because it reminds us all this morning that there's no one beyond the reach of Holy Spirit conviction. And that's why today, even in our own land, we have ex-members of the UVF, UDA, IRA that have been saved by the grace of God and adopted into God's family. Finally, in verse 1 here, we have also Saul of Tarsus mentioned. It was during the early stages of this journey that Saul became Paul. Paul, of course, was his Hebrew name among the Jews, but as he went forth among the Gentiles, he is known by his Roman name, Paul. So as they are serving the Lord here in Antioch, Barnabas and Saul are called by the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the Roman world. And you know, folks, if the Holy Ghost is sending them, he will go with them and their mission will be a guaranteed success. So friend, if God is calling you for something this morning, if God is sending you somewhere, then there is no need to fear because you will have with him or you will have with him as your personal companion in whatever he would have you to do. Isaiah says, I, the Lord, thy God will hold thy right hand saying unto thee, fear not, I will help thee. So an ordination service takes place where they pray for the men and they fasted. Fasting is not commanded in the Bible, but it is expected. Nehemiah fasted, Daniel fasted, David fasted, Esther fasted, Jesus fasted, and the apostles, they all fasted. And you will usually see fasting in the scriptures at a pivotal or a critical moment in a believer's life. This was a significant moment. The gospel was about to step onto the world stage. They were going to preach about the king of kings in a Roman world that regarded their own emperors as gods. So they didn't know what to expect, what trials or tribulations or persecutions lay ahead. Finally, the church symbolically laid hands on these brave Christian soldiers. This indicated that they had been examined by the church, verified that they'd been called by God and were now qualified for service. Barnabas and Saul may have been chosen by the Holy Spirit, but it was they who chose John Mark to be their assistant. Whether this was to minister to the spiritual needs of the people in a pastoral role, or minister to the practical needs of Paul and Barnabas to help him with the cooking and cleaning, we just can't be sure, but maybe it was both. But whatever it was, it was important. Barnabas and Paul believed that John Mark was needed, otherwise they just wouldn't have taken him. Ecclesiastes says this Whatsoever thy hand findest to do, do it with all thy might. There is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. So whatever role God has called you to do, do it with all your heart. Everything done for the Lord is vital. I may be up here this morning preaching, but during the week I'll be down there hoovering between the pews and cleaning the toilets. Nobody's job is less essential than anyone else's. You are important this morning, everyone. You are vital to this fellowship and we cannot do without you. We must all work together for the kingdom of God, protect one another, pray for one another, look out for one another in a hostile world that hates us because soon we will all be in the grave and our time on earth will be done. With that in mind, These three men now set sail for Cyprus. And first of all, we see here the preaching on the island. The men, you see, are on this mission because Jesus told them to go. He said, go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. That's the Trinity. Pope Francis would say that this missionary journey wasn't needed and that these missionaries were not believers. Speaking to Catholic high school students back in December last year, referring to Jews and Muslims, he said that we are all the same. We are all children of God. But Paul, speaking to the Romans, said, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So Jews and Muslims have not the Holy Spirit. In In John's first epistle, he said, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. Jews and Muslims deny the Son, They don't have a savior. The Pope also said that if anyone attempts to convert you, they're not a disciple of Jesus. He said the church does not grow by proselytism. But Paul, again, he said, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Paul and Barnabas are preachers and they've embarked on this mission to preach the word. We see see here in this portion of scripture that all enemies of the true gospel, whether it's the pontiff in Rome or the the false prophet here in Paphos, they will do their best to stamp the gospel out. My friend, if you're listening to this message on Facebook or YouTube, or maybe a friend has sent it to you on WhatsApp, and you're a Roman Catholic this morning, I want to tell you that I love you. I love you. This fellowship loves you, and true love speaks truth. You see, folks, your soul is too precious to mess you about. We care for your soul, and we must tell you this morning that the bad news is you're in darkness, but Jesus Christ is the light. Jesus, not baptism, not confirmation, not penance, not confession to a priest, not the mass, not the rosary, not praying to dead saints, but Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And friend, read the Bible with attention so you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. After conversion, Paul spent the rest of his life proselytizing, seeking to gather as many friends into heaven as he could. Christianity is a missionary faith. We either evangelize or we fossilize. Paul and Barnabas understood they had a message of such urgency and such significance that it had to be preached everywhere. Cyprus was Barnabas' home country. So he initially leads a small team of missionaries because he knows the people, he knows the culture, he knows the country. He loved his homeland, he loves his neighbors, and so the first stop on this adventure had to be, it must be, it just had to be Cyprus. And this was the pattern that was set out by the Lord Jesus. He said, you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and then in Judea, then into Samaria, and then into the uttermost parts of the earth. This is why you'll find Stephen, our brother Stephen, most Saturdays preaching the word in Cookstown. You see, he loves the word, he loves the people there. There's no point in going into the uttermost part of the earth if you don't love and reach your own people first. When the missionaries hit the beach here on the east coast of Cyprus in the port of Salamis, they immediately invade the synagogues and they preach the gospel. Paul established the custom of preaching to the Jews first whenever he entered any new city. And if you read the the book of Acts, you'll discover that. He did it when he arrived in Antioch, Iconium, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, and Ephesus. Paul was now separated from the Jewish religion that had crucified the Lord, but it didn't prevent him from going back to the Jews and into the synagogues to share the good news that the Messiah had come, that Jesus Christ was God's Son, and that he was the Savior of the world. He didn't go into the synagogues to compromise. He went to preach the word. Paul had an open door. He was a Jew. He was a trained rabbi. It would be foolish to waste this opportunity. He could reach people that no one else could reach and no one else would even listen to. Friend, whatever or wherever you are tomorrow, God will give you an individual. God might even give you an audience that no one else can reach people who will listen to you but nobody else. So friend, take your opportunity. If we ever get the opportunity to share Christ with hell-bound sinners, don't waste it. Grasp it, because if they believe it, they will thank you for the rest of eternity. We're not told how it went for them here in this great commercial center, but we do know that God's word does not return unto him void. And I'm sure souls were saved, and perhaps even a local assembly of believers were established. And from Salamis, the team travel across the island on a preaching tour towards Paphos which was a distance of about 90 miles probably stopping in many towns and villages along the way to preach the gospel of saving grace to anyone who would listen you know every time you preach in the open air you're successful in 30 minutes you can reach hundreds if not thousands of people who will never hear the gospel by any other means we were in irvin's town on uh, friday There was builders fixing roofs, there was joggers, there was walkers, there was people going into the butchers and the bakers and the the chemist and the clothes shop and the grocery shop. There was delivery men in their vans. Hundreds of people heard the word. In contrast, Stephen and myself and Ewan were in that little hamlet of Tynan about a month ago. There was very few people in Tynan. If you know Tynan, you'll know what I mean. Uh, But there was one man that stuck out in my mind. Um, one man that uh, heard the gospel that day, I just heard last night that he was buried last Sunday. That's how important the outreach is. Paul and Barnabas knew that the gospel that changed their lives and changed their eternal destiny was not a treasure to be hoarded, but a priceless gift for each one of us to share. You see, if a group of firefighters sat drinking tea in their fire engine outside a burning building building, where people were perishing in the flames well we wouldn't think much of those firemen you see they may not know the people inside they may not love them or have compassion for them the way that they should have but at the end of the day they're firefighters and it is their job to rescue people from burning buildings we may not know a lot of people in our own area we may not know the people in the moy or Blackwater town or eglish or ben burb or baligali or kalishal or kiliman or dungannon We may not love these people or have the compassion of Christ for them, but at the end of the day, it is our job to point them to the one who can rescue them. Like this missionary team, we are all God's ambassadors in a world infected with the deadly sin virus, and we have access to the vaccine. These men had little money and equipment. They had no friends in high places or political influence, but God was able to use them to turn the world upside down. Night after night, I'm sure they would have slept under the stars, perhaps like Jacob using a stone for a pillow. And every night, I'm sure they would have talked about their Lord, their constant companion, that friend that sticketh closer than a brother, that one who had even nowhere to lay his head. And then we see the rebuke here by Paul. Paphos was the pagan capital city of Cyprus, It was where the Temple of Venus was located, so it was a city full of debauchery, superstition and prostitution. On arriving at Paphos, the missionaries are met with opposition by the Jewish sorcerer here called Bar-Jesus, which means uh, son of Joshua. He was an apostate Jew. He had rejected the scriptures. He'd set himself up as some sort of miniature antichrist. He was a kind of court wizard or magician for the governor of the island who was called Sergius Paulus. If Bar Jesus had supernatural power, then it had been given to him by the rulers of the darkness of this world. He is employed to tell the future and consult with the dead, which are actually not the dead, but demons who knew the dead when they were alive. Peter had come across Simon, who was another sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, but God condemns sorcery. God instructed his people in Deuteronomy 18 that when they arrived in the promised land, they were not to get involved in the detestable ways of the Canaanites. They were involved in child sacrifice, fortune telling, witchcraft, seances. This was all an abomination to God and the Israelite invasion of Canaan was a type of punishment on the Canaanites for these sins. Sorcery was common in the ancient world, and while some demonstrations were no more than illusions, others were empowered by Satan to discredit the work of God. Jesus warned us what would come. He said, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, and so much that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. There's a great deception taking place in the world today. It's almost as if The elect are being deceived. The scientists that tell us that we evolved from sludge that slithered out of the ocean billions of years ago, they are the same scientists today that are advising us on COVID. If we don't believe them when they attack God's word on creation, why is it that so many Christians are so quick to believe them when they talk about the COVID vaccine? There's going to be a big, big crackdown on the truth very shortly regarding the vaccine. just you wait and see. So be alert, be sober, be vigilant. As Christians, we must not be deceived in these days. We must give these dabblers even here in the occult a wide berth. Pray against it, warn others of it. These people pray to Satan for the destruction of her marriages, the destruction of her families. In fact, these people are more devoted to praying to their God than some of us are to ours. And that's a statistic that none of us should be proud of this morning. In spite of this fascination with the occult, Sergius Paulus was a prudent man. He was wise, he was intelligent, he was no fool. And so when he hears of the missionaries in town preaching this new faith... He starts to make inquiries. He, a seed has been sown, and he, and he wants to hear more. Now, this is encouraging to the street preachers, because you never, ever know who is listening. You never know that one verse that you quote from the Sword of the Spirit, it could pierce the hardest, darkest heart. Fred Greenfield, the retired Free Presbyterian minister, was telling me recently that one day he was preaching outside the City Hall and in Belfast, and just across the street was the magician Paul Daniels, listening to every single word. So you never know who's listening. Friend, if you've heard the word and you've read the word, it is always wise to pursue the word, just like Sergius. It's not often that such a high-profile person would invite a, a couple of homeless missionaries into their home But you see, a desire has now budded in his heart, and he wants to hear the truth. Again, Paul takes the opportunity. He didn't need to be asked twice. The most important man on this island has asked to hear the gospel, and this must have thrilled his heart. But by Jesus, also known as Eliamus here, immediately he sees a threat to his standing, to his power, to his influence, and even to his livelihood. So he opposes the work and does everything he can to discourage his boss from listening to the truth. He recognizes Paul as a formidable opponent, a trained rabbi and a well educated Jew, and one who who knew the true Jesus. He had no desire to repent and seek the Savior for himself, and he opposed the gospel with all his might. You see, he was a false prophet, he was in league with the devil. And anyone who opposes the gospel and prevents others from hearing the gospel, like the Pope, he is in league with the devil. He is an enemy of God. Like the magicians in Egypt who withstood Moses, this magician is desperate to keep the governor of Cyprus from getting saved. You see, Satan is busy trying to keep the gospel away from presidents and prime ministers, kings and queens, because he knows the influence that a saved national leader would have on their country. And that's why Paul tells us all to pray, to pray for all who are in, in authority. So pray for Boris Johnson. Pray for Nicholas Sturgeon. Pray for Arlene Foster. Pray for Michelle O'Neill. Paul took no nonsense here. There was no debate, no dialogue, no discussion, no middle ground to be found here. It was either truth or error, light or darkness. This was a matter of eternal life or eternal death. So, friends, no matter what the cost may be, error must not be ignored. It must be confronted and lies must be exposed. This was a time for the Holy Spirit to act in power. And Paul says here in verse 10, O fool of subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, Thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Of course, the liberals would say, Paul's attitude was all wrong here. This wasn't the way to win people. He should have made friends with Bar Jesus. He should have gotten to know him a little better. After all, there was common ground here to build on. They were both from the Jewish background. There was more here to unite them than divided them. Well, of course, that's what the ecumenists say. But it is a lie from the pit of hell. Ecumenism is unity, but it is at the expense of truth. Paul said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And this is what Paul is doing. Of course, this was a, it was also a great way to end up dead or end up in some dungeon. I mean, you can't just turn up in a strange town and start calling the local religious man a liar, start accusing him of being a child of the devil, but this is what Paul did. For jesus was an imposter. He was an enemy of truth. He was guilty of perversion instead of conversion. You know, there's a lot of perversion in religion around us today. A lot of perverts tickling, tickling the ears, corrupting the truth, leading souls to hell. We must confront their fake news, rebuke their lies, expose their hypocrisy, condemn their doctrines of devils. Paul was not interested in making friends or finding common ground with false religion, but he was interested in the soul, the precious soul of Sergius. See, Bible believers are not on earth to seek some kind of ecumenical dialogue or drivel with false teachers, with liberals or men who distort the Bible, whether they come from the Church of Rome, the Church of Scotland, the Church of England, or indeed the Church of Ireland. Oh, you can't say that. Oh, yes, I can say that. I was 23 years in it, and Jesus set this captive free. He set him free. They have ministers praying with sodomites. They boast about it in their church magazine, and their bishops won't do anything about it. It's time to get out. In fact, it's long past the time to get out. Anything that draws you away from the gospel is of the devil. Anything that keeps you away from God and from the place of prayer where you can meet with God is your enemy. It may seem legitimate. It may feel that it is important to you and that uh, that is exactly what the devil will want you to feel. As Paul said, he is full of subtlety, full of mischief. He is a great deceiver and he will deceive Christians by putting things in their lives to keep them away from the things of God. But friend, there is nothing There is nothing more important in this world than for a Christian parent than being in the place of prayer for their children. Nothing. God's answer to paganism, false religion, vile religion, false gospel superstition and distorted truth is a man that is filled with the Holy Ghost. There is no other answer. And so Paul and Barnabas step up here to meet the challenge. We see the punishment of Bar-Jesus. You know, if you're a child of God living in a world of darkness, sooner or later a confrontation is going to take place. Yes, of course, the Bible does say, if it is possible, we are to live peaceably with all men. But for a believer in this filthy, corrupt world, it is unavoidable. Whether you are a missionary in a foreign land full of dead religion, Or maybe a new convert breaking the news of your conversion to your ungodly parents. Maybe you're a university student taking a stand against evolution in front of some sneering lecturer. Confrontation with the enemy will be necessary. It will be unavoidable. When the Holy Spirit struck, God's judgment on this agent of hell was appropriate. You see, he served the God of this world who blinds the minds of them that believe not. He served darkness. He was in spiritual darkness, so God punished him with physical darkness to fit his crime. He then groups around in darkness, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And your friend, this is the state of all lost sinners in a world of darkness this morning. They are groping, rummaging, searching, seeking for something in this world to lead them and guide them to satisfaction. There's a void in their lives that only Christ can fill, yet they're just like this bar Jesus, they they turn away from the only one that can that, that, that can truly satisfy them. I wonder, friend, is that you this morning? I'd really encourage you to turn away no longer. Embrace Christ as your Saviour. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And yet this was moderate punishment. You see, he was only struck blind for a season when he actually deserved to be struck dead for eternity. And in fact, that's what we all deserve, by the way. Even in this, we see the restraining and merciful hand of God. See, God could have struck him down dead like he did with Ananias and Sapphira, but he only strikes him down with blindness like he did with the homosexuals in Sodom. Paul's blindness on the road to Damascus had led to his conversion. And so perhaps Bar-Jesus' blindness might give him the time to think about his own salvation. Isn't God good this morning? Isn't God good? God is not willing that even Bar-Jesus should perish. So he gives him a little longer, a little more time to consider his ways to put his house in order. This was a warning shot from God. If he refused to repent, if he refused to be saved Then Jude 13 says there was reserved for him the blackest of darkness forever. Dear sinner, I wonder how long God has been merciful to you. How many warning shots near misses, Close Encounters with death has God sent your way to encourage you into submission and still, still you will not back down. You're still full of pride, you're still full of self-righteousness and your stubborn attitude will take you straight to the lake of fire. Will God have to strike you down with an illness for you to take notice? If you're at home self-isolating or unable to work, thank God for the time that he's giving you right now to get right with him, to come back to him, to repent of your sins. Speaking of repentance, we see finally here the conversion of the governor. You know, by Jesus The false prophet who did his very best to criticise the message of the gospel, he is now the one who proclaims the truth of the miracle as he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Isn't God incredible this morning that he could use the worst enemy of the gospel to become the greatest witness of it? There are dear saints in Fermanagh that are now the greatest witnesses of it. Isn't God incredible? Paul used to persecute the truth as well. But now he proclaims the truth. And you see, this is the work that God is doing in hearts today. He is still saving from the guttermost to the uttermost. So Christian, do not give up the fight for your loved ones. The governor was astonished here. The original word for astonished is a strong word. It means to be struck with astonishment. It means to be violently shaken out of your complacency. What astonished him was not just the sign, but it was the word. Not just the miracle, but the doctrine. In fact, it was the apostles' new teaching that led to the sorcerer's defeat. It was the scripture that silenced Satan in Cyprus. Unlike the world's false religions, the doctrine of Christ is so breathtaking that it is not just astonishing, but it is also mind blowing. From beginning to end, the gospel is amazing. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. He was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He was then wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And on the cross, he cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He completed our salvation. When he cried, it is finished, signifying the work for our salvation had been completed. And then he gave up the ghost. And at the empty tomb, the angel said, "Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. (laughs) He is risen. He is not here. No grave for Jesus. He said, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. And now because of his death and because of his resurrection, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Incredible. Incredible. Friends, this is why our faith is worth fighting for. This is why we must risk danger and dungeons and death because he is worthy. He is worthy. That day the gospel triumphed over the occult and as a result the governor rejected his past, repented of his sins, believed the gospel and another name was written into the Lamb's book of life. Is your name in the book of life this morning. The word believed means to depend on entirely, to have faith totally, to rely on fully, and to trust in completely. This is what happens when God's way of salvation confronts delusion. And friend, if you're not saved, it means you're still hopelessly lost and still utterly deluded. The gospel exposed by Jesus' weaknesses immediately and without apology, without fear, without dialogue, without debate, we must take this message to a dying and deluded world. They may not like it, they may not want it, they may fight against it, they may even persecute you for it, but this was the foundation that Paul built his missionary work upon. Like Elijah when he met the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, this great apostle to the gentiles met the situation head on in Holy Spirit power. The team now leave Cyprus and they sail back across to the mainland again And the emphasis now shifts away from Paul and Saul. And in verse 13, we see it becomes Paul and his company. Paul now takes the lead. But despite these early successes, it was in Perga that John Mark quits, just resigns. As Paul and Barnabas pack their bags for future hardship ahead, Mark now packs his bag and heads for home. We don't know why. Maybe he was worried about his mummy. Maybe he was happy to be on the team so long as Uncle Barnabas was in charge. But he's not so sure about this guy, Paul. Paul's different, you see. He's a bit of a fanatic. He's a loose cannon. No sense of fear. He would end up getting the whole lot of them in trouble. Well, whatever the reason, Mark was just not ready to be an itinerant evangelist. You see, friends, there are Christians who are sent, and there are Christians who went into the work. Mark went, and he didn't last. Uncommitted people cause problems in the Lord's work, you see. Some people will back you with enthusiasm and dependability when things are going really well, but they'll let you down when, you're, when they're needed the most. People will volunteer with a burst of zeal to hold office in the fellowship. But as soon as the pressure is on, they abandon their responsibilities. The Holy Spirit takes a serious view of withdrawing from your duties and abandoning the work. We're told that John Mark departed. The original word for departing is used on two other occasions in the New Testament, and both of them in a very solemn and a serious way. One of them was when Jesus described the fate of those who have a false profession in Matthew chapter 7 when he said, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. These must be the saddest words in Scripture. Saddest verse in Scripture. Dear sinner, make sure you don't hear those words because if you do, it's going to be forever too late. The same word is used here to describe Mark's abandonment of this first great missionary journey. You see, this was serious. This was betrayal. Mark's defection added extra burdens to Paul and Barnabas, which led later on to a serious disagreement between these two friends who had laughed and labored and prayed and preached together in good times and in bad So, friends, whatever position you have in the fellowship, whether elder or deacon, teacher or preacher, whatever gift God has given you to use, friend, do it with all your heart. Don't abandon your responsibilities. Don't disrupt the work. Don't betray your comrades. Don't ever let down your Savior. One thing is for sure this morning, he didn't let us down and he never will. What a Savior. What a Savior. We're going to turn in closing to um, 4, 6, nine. Before we do that, we're just going to bow in a wee word of prayer, and then uh, if you're not staying for the table, then you can leave as we sing uh, our final hymn. We'll just bow in a wee word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you're still in the business of saving souls. Thank you for reminding us today, Lord, that there's an enemy out there that is very subtle. And he'll come to us, Lord, in sheep's clothing. But he will be a ravening wolf. May even come to us, Lord, in religious clothing. So help us, Lord, to be alert in these days. Help us, Lord, to be watchmen in these days. Help us, Lord, to remember in these days that you're still on the throne, you're sovereign. And in a wicked, evil world where there's more little unborn babies being butchered in the womb, there are people dying of other diseases. Help us to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Bless this word this morning to our hearts. And as us listened later on, no doubt, by various modern methods, we pray, Lord, that you'll speak to people. Speak to your own people as well as the lost today. Add to your kingdom such as should be saved. Continue to bless this fellowship, Lord. Bless those that must leave now, we pray. Continue to be with those that mourn today. Assure them, Lord, that we are continuing to remember them daily. We pray that you'll remember our meeting tonight, Lord. We crave for your presence in the barn later on this evening. And as we gather around your table in a few moments... Help us to remember, Lord, what you did for us and what you continue to do for us every single day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.